Welcome to Y11 Audio. I'm Alex Alvarado, and thank you for listening. This is uh, late, delayed, again. I keep doing this. But this is also Ypsilanti's college football podcast from Ypsi11.com. Eastern Michigan, man. Whew. What are you doing on the football field? Four and six, two and four in the MAC after a 49 to 23 blundering at the glass bowl. Not a great sign. Not a great, uh, not a great watch last night on the four letter network. Uh, I think it was on the two. I don't remember. Um, yeah, not beautiful. Not a beautiful watch. Not a beautiful season it's been. It sucks being pessimistic, and I'm trying to make make the most of it. I did make a thing that covers Eastern Michigan football regularly. I know I'm not in for a winner year in and year out. I know that. We should all know that. But who was not expecting this to be the follow-up to you know the nine-win season. I'm sure a lot of people are really feeling that way right now. I'm sure people are also feeling like, hey, Alex, where the hell have you been? Haven't heard you since, voice-wise, Jacksonville State. Haven't heard you on this podcast on Y11 Audio since the conclusion of the Jacksonville State game, which ended 21-0. Talked about it being the first goose egg that EMU laid since 2014. And now, after EMU has played six games in MAC play, Toledo is already the MacWest champs. They were the MacWest champs before Eastern got back on the bus to go back home last night. Gave up 45 points to Western, 49 points to Toledo in the last two games. Just, I don't know, man. It's It just has not looked good for the Eagles on the field, production-wise, execution-wise, all that sort of stuff. Eastern's never been a team that walked into the season being you know, 100% health-wise. And no team plays the year completely healthy. Every team has its, you know, guys on every team will play hurt everywhere. It always happens. A lot of important positions have been hurt with injury throughout the year. That shouldn't really be the main excuse to go to here. But things have just not been good for this team. But I sidetracked. Uh, looking at myself for this audio, though, for this podcast, uh, I've been up a little bit. Haven't heard me since, you know, non-conference play. Reasons for that, one, laziness. Number two, indoor allergies. Terrible. Terrible for me this time of year. Absolutely terrible. As soon as the weather drops below, like, 61 degrees, terrible. Absolutely terrible for me. Nothing, nothing will get done with me. I have blown through... Maybe maybe about six, maybe seven boxes of tissues in the past, like, month, maybe. So, uh, right now, you hear that? That's me blowing inward through my nose with a whole one and a half nostrils. It's pretty good. There is not enough... Sudafed in the world, not enough antihistamines. I could use about five more, maybe six to seven more humidifiers. Just, you know, just to lay around the house. Just to, you know, have them all blow steam. Have them all blow some mist throughout the house. That way I can just breathe water. It helps. It really does. 
I don't know if I could have existed. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how long I would be able to last, uh, before the age of humidifiers. You know, there's a lot of things where it's like, I have no idea how generations before me existed without a particular form of technology. Maybe it's Google Maps. Maybe wouldn't know how to survive if it weren't for running water, dishwashers, refrigerators. Uh, What's, uh, I don't know, just like normal appliances, stuff like that. For me, humidifier. Don't know how I would have been able to exist in, I don't know, the 70s without one. Man, pretty soon I'm going to have to like start explaining like how I got around like the 90s and early 2000s without like certain devices that my nieces are going to have. Oof, good Lord. So sorry for the lateness. We'll have to keep up with Thursday episodes. I'm not going to do two episodes from now on. Uh, I tried talking myself into, you know, hey, you took this time off. Just finish the year out strong. Two months of two episodes a week. Why not? I don't want to put too much on my plate early on in the week. I got enough going on away from Ipsy 11. So I'd rather just kind of just do one episode a week. Just put everything in here. Leave myself some room for maybe bonus content later. But stick to the Thursday episodes. This is just going to be, fingers crossed, my schedule moving forward. Just Thursday episodes on here. Yes, and I know that. There is a particular holiday that has to happen on a Thursday coming up. Don't worry, I'll figure it out. Uh, some things on the website that you may or may not have read lately. Uh, been doing some weekly quarterback one power rankings. Just going through all the QB1s in the Mac. Just pontificating a little bit, talking about their situations, and then just power ranking them. Pretty straightforward. It's been pretty hard when teams, you know, don't always have the best quarterback play, and it sucks even more when guys like Brett Gabbert and DJ Irons go down, and teams like that are down to their second stringers. Sometimes QB1s just don't always hang on. Sometimes they just have to split time, and they end up going bowling. Like in Bowling Green, what the heck, man? It's literally the worst quarterback play with the best possible outcomes of it. I don't love it. But still, I update that weekly. Uh, Right now it's Thursday. I'm going to have to publish a new one tomorrow, Friday. Maybe Saturday I'll do it. Who knows? A couple other things. I know it's a couple weeks late on this, talking about it on here, but we'll revisit it soon. Uh, In the lead-up to the MAC championship game, I put out my mid-season all-MAC team of 2023. I waited until everybody was halfway through their MAC seasons. I didn't really want to... I didn't want to do it at the six game mark for everybody just because not everybody played a half a year yet. Not everybody had the same balance of non-conference games and MAC games played. So I waited until everybody was halfway through their MAC seasons to kind of, you know, do the whole individual award thing. I just did, you know, first team all MAC and then honorable mention after that. Especially since that week was, you know, literally the day... The day I published it, so two days before that, maybe one day before that was when Brett Gabbert went down, and that stunk. That stunk. Uh, What doesn't stink is another thing I had to write, uh, Max Crosby. He gave one bill to to Eastern Michigan. One whole bill. 
that is awesome, man. Like, no joke. That is big of him. It's big of him that it's big for him that his name's going to be on the field in 2024. That's something everybody already knows. Here's something that uh, we're not talking enough about. And it wasn't announced formally at the time that EMU donated or EMU, you know, talked about it getting the money from Max. They talked about it in terms of it being, you know, the start of plan two of the, the championship building plan that's not 100% formalized yet. They still have to go to the Board of Regents and, you know, get everything ironed out there, have all the details planned out for when they're going to plan to do everything. They at least have the funding to get things started. And what is included in the start of it? That's right. Getting rid of the track around the football field. Seriously, it's getting, it's going away. That track is going away. We'll have to wait and see what the details of that are going to be once that time comes around. But track is going to get its own facility, uh, which is going to be really good. Of course, if you're, you know, obviously you're here for the football part of it. Getting that track around the football field will really legitimize the program. It'll make the program look so much less JV than it did already. And it'll just add more possibilities of just like what to do, you know, with the space. You know, it'll be more modernized. It's something that has been missing from this program essentially forever, you know. One of the longer term parts of it is going to be, you know, if you go back and rewatch the video that came out in 2017 when all of this plan was, you know, it got the thumbs up to generally start happening. One of the bigger projects that's going to, you know, that's going to take place is replacing the video board and making a big old thing on top of the championship building. That'll probably be like in phase three, I'm sure. But still, like the video board right now was like installed like 2009-ish, right? Well, I'm sorry. There, there's a, the video board right now. We're watching a good one that's going to get upgraded, but the old, old one that I went to college for, the one that I saw in 2010, when that was put in place in 2009, that was retrofit for like two, 1992 specs, right? So like whatever we've seen during the 2010s, is was already outdated when it was new and so eastern is trying to make new new things happen in the 2020s and this is going to be part of it one of the new new things in the 10s that's going to be kept through the 20s is the gray field of course we're running at the time where you know it's 10 years of that time to get that replaced the Crosby donation is going to help out with that. It's going to extend a little bit further than that, too, from what I understand. But still, the big part's being ignored, and it's that the track is going away. Like, I've been watching this team since 2010, man. Like, it's so hard for me to, like, imagine... Because I haven't really put too much thought into it. I just assumed it would eventually happen. And I you know, just kind of didn't put too much thought into it. But 
I've never imagined Rynearson without the track just because I haven't seen it, you know. And now that we know that it's going to happen is just, it's just really great. It's really great. All right, uh, a couple more things, and then we'll get out of here. We're not going to make this too long of a discussion, uh, especially since the Toledo game doesn't give you a lot. You know, a lot doesn't give us a lot of great content to work with. Here, let me just start out with a pop quiz. Daquan Finn, God bless him, threw for 407 yards against Eastern's defense. Allowed up 500 yards of offense. Just whew, ugly day for the defense. Ugly day overall, just in general. But still, big day for Finn. The whole day essentially just belonged to him. He was the one that was totally in control of the game from start to finish. 407 passing yards. In the CC era, over the last 10 years, can you name the other times we've seen 400 passing yards happen against EMU? I'll wait. Do, 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 do. Okay, here we go. Two years ago, Daquan Finn did it. He was hurt last year, but two years ago, in the 52-49 to 49, uh, EMU win at the Glass Bowl, 461 passing yards, three touchdowns, one interception. He was 30-45. of 45. The only other quarterback to put up over 400 yards in a game against Eastern Michigan. And after this name, I'm going to say an asterisk just to add one more name to the list. We're going to say Drew Locke right now of Missouri in 2016, 24 of 37, 450 yards, five touchdowns, zero interceptions. The only other time EMU's defense let up 400 yards through the air, it was through a combination of Cooper Rush and a trick play from Jesse Kroll's tight end, who was one of one of 17 yards. Cooper Rush, this is in a game, uh, 2015. Rush, who is still in the NFL, still with the Cowboys, 25 of 39, 391 yards, uh, combined for over 400 yards of passing offense between them. <laughs> Those games do not happen very often. Um, and obviously... You can see the results of all of them was blown out by Toledo last night, blown out by Missouri um, back in 2016. That central loss was close. It was 35 to 28. And of course, the other Finn, the other Finn game that I said, that was an EMU win, but that's because the offense came to play. This isn't an indictment on saying like, wow, isn't the defense bad? It's just not that because... I mean, had the situation been different, had the season gone better in a lot of ways, this team would have been more amped for this opportunity. A win here would have really improved its chances in going to the MAC championship game in a better circumstance. But that's not, those weren't the cards that EMU came to Toledo with. Toledo was the one in the driver's seat. Toledo's the one that remains undefeated in Mac play and Toledo's the one that's closed out the Mac West race with two games left. So we're still waiting to, you know, to see how these final two games end. 
for uh, to, to see who's going to represent the East in Detroit. But as far as Toledo goes, as far as Toledo goes, Jason Candle's going to be going for his third time as the head coach since 2017. They're going back to back. Um, they're making trips in back to back years after winning it last year over Ohio, which doesn't seem like it's uh, living up to its part of being the East favorite. And I got to say, man, like Toledo, it has its aspirations of being, you know, Mac great and all that, but it also has its aspirations that it's kept up with coming into the year, which is being nationally relevant. And that's a program setting, you know, goal that it has is to be nationally important, nationally recognized, and to be one of the premier G5 programs in America, regardless of conference. I'm adding that last part in for them. You know, Toledo has only been in the CFP rankings in one season. Uh, It was ranked one week, lost, ranked another week after it lost and won again, then it lost another time. That was back in like 2016, I want to say. And since then, the MAC hasn't had a CFP top 25 team in their pool. And Toledo wants that. There's, you know, it's a race of all these teams trying to stand out to be the best G5 team, like it is every year. Toledo for the MAC is looking as strong as it ever has to be that level of contender. You know, right now, as long as JMU is jobbed out of not being able to participate in bowl play, uh, I'm not sure what, what's going to happen with them in the Sun Belt, you know, as far as like its conference championship game. But as far as that New Year's Six slot, you're looking at, you know, JMU undefeated right now is not going. You have SMU that's looking good. You have Tulane that's looking good. And then the Mountain West, you know, Air Force lost, so Mountain West, no Mountain West team's going to get in it. Toledo's being locked out or is being kept out because they suffered a two-point loss to Illinois, and Illinois is not as impressive as it was last year. They're doing okay, but it's not not a great team. Still, despite that, despite the way Toledo lost its game to Illinois, which was probably a better team and just didn't win the football game. Toledo came into this one, as it did last week, fired up and was hoping that every voter in that room is paying attention to Maxion because there's nothing else on on TV. Unless those voters switched on the NBA, which they wouldn't be doing their jobs as college football people. You got to pay attention to, to Toledo. Daquan Finn had the best matching performance of the week. Of all the quarterbacks, Daquan Finn lived up to the billing. Maction's about his quarterbacks, and Finn did his damn part in the past two weeks. And they didn't outclass, outtalent everybody and look sloppy at the same time. And it was just like, but we but we did all the good stuff. Toledo's look clean in these blowouts. 
and they were definitely hoping they weren't they they were playing like they already knew you know the Mac championship game was already under lock but they were auditioning for that New Year's six slot last night they were auditioning for that they were playing to get into the top 25 more than they were looking to get in the win column against Eastern Michigan that was not a one and0 thing they were looking to get two wins in that game. They were looking to go 2-0 and last night. So hats off to Toledo. You're playing like you should. And I, I, I can't be mad at that. What I can't be mad at is just, holy crap, man. Eastern just did not play well the last few weeks. Like, this has looked like a very bad team. This has just looked like a very bad football team that you looked at the beginning of the year and you were like, okay, this defense will definitely bail out this offense every time it steps onto the field. Uh-huh. Yep, for 12 drives a game, it'll they'll definitely pull through for the offense. And the offense, you know, which started out really slow, like at what point in the year did you start to think, okay, yeah, you know, Easter's offense is going to going to be really really good this year. I was asked by somebody in the national media, I'm not going to say any names, but I was asked by somebody in the national media who was curious about Eastern's offense in the beginning of the year. And they asked me, and I'm so mad about this. Not that they were, not that they asked it, but the way I answered it. They asked, can EMU put up 30 points against a bad Mac defense. And I'm like, what? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Duh. Look, 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 look. Between the special teams play of Hams and Jalen Jackson, between the field position that the special teams unit should give you, the the threat of Jesus' Gomez's leg, and that Mitch Thomasek in the punting game, when things go sour, can at least arm Russell you know, the field position game to the other side. And if he can get the ball to the other side, the defense just does its job, forces a punt, and can get Eastern's offense back onto the field after the other team punts out of their own end zone, perhaps. I don't see where this... I didn't see where the losses would come from like, I, I just assumed that the offense would just benefit. I just assumed the offense would be better. I just assumed that Austin Smith was going to be like a 60% passer. I think I said that before in a previous episode. That that's really just like the mark I was looking for. And it just has not been that. It's just been worse than that. The offensive line just hasn't played like it wanted to be coming into the year. And so, yeah, you know, good good for the defense to come through sometimes, but, you know, the wheels, it just, it's just run out of miles, man. Just there's only so many miles that you can put on a defense. And Eastern's offense was throwing itself off of the field so much in the first half, first, yeah, the first half of the year where, and I'm not looking this up right now, but I don't think there were many games where, the offense was on the field for more snaps than the defense was. 
maybe twice the offense outplayed the defense in terms of just how many times you're on the field. Not performance-wise, not execution-wise, just physically total number of snaps on the field. Eastern's offense only outplayed the defense. I'm hesitating because I'm not looking it up, but like not more than three times. And so at this point of the year, when you're naturally tired anyways, even on a, a good team, an efficient offense that plays 74 snaps a game and a defense that's on the field for only 61, you know, somewhere in that range, you're going to get tired anyways. And now they're just, it's rough. It's just getting really rough out there. And plus, like, the injuries, man. Like, there's, they've had enough injuries between, like, Josh Scott, T, you know, uh, TJPV. A lot of guys on the defensive line are kind of, like, in and out of the rotations. So, sour follow-up to the nine-win season. Um, three losses in a row to NIU, Western Toledo. Got Akron coming up. I don't know. Should be a win. Should be a win. Who knows? Akron coming up. Buffalo on the road to finish it out. Oh, man. Just deep sigh. Just deep sigh. And then one one national story I want to hit on. And believe you me, I don't want to talk about Michigan today. I do want to talk a little bit, just a little bit about Sean Lewis. Just a little bit. Sean Lewis, head coach at Kent State, formerly was finally hired away was finally hired away by Colorado before the year to be the offensive coordinator for Deion's son. Right? Deion's son being the quarterback. Yes, he has another con- another son playing playing safety, but I digress. Get the hell out of Kent State. Bring your offensive lineman with you, your offensive line coach with you. No, this isn't going to be the team that grounds and pounds its way to victory and tries to emulate a Big Ten style offense or anything like that. No. I know what you got. You like to put up points. You like to get the ball out of my out of my quarterback's hands really quickly. Offensive line play be damned. Nothing went good in terms of job prospects for Sean Lewis at Kent State. That's why he was still there. You know, he was interviewing for head coaching jobs and he kept hearing no. And he probably probably should have went to, you know, probably should have went to Cincinnati, but that just didn't happen. And so what was he supposed to do? Stay at Kent State for year six? Anyways, everybody knows that he was punished for whatever reason. I don't know if it was because of poor offense. I don't know if it's because the offensive line stank. I don't know if it's because behind the scenes reasons. I don't know if it's because Dion. here's a good theory. Uh, wants to secretly save Lewis from having a you know bad games on his rapport, you know, knowing that he is going to be highly sought after in this, you know, in this coaching cycle, in this musical chairs game that all these head coaches play. We're gonna do you a favor. We're gonna make you just a signal caller. We're not gonna say you're the offensive coordinator just in case some of these games in the final stretch of the season go left. I don't know. I, I don't really know. I mean, it's it's hard to know. Like, I've said this before. 
it's hard to talk about Dion and his intentions, his motives, his his decisions, just the things he does, the things he says, why this, why that. No matter what, like he came in, he didn't come in with a great big Louis bag. He did come in with a binder, right? He did come in with a detailed plan of what Dion's going to do week in, week out as the Colorado coach. I don't think he's winging much of what we're seeing online. Dion is tactical. Dion is smart. Dion knows the game. Smart as shit at football. Good as hell at football. Knows the game. You know, not not just the media game, but the football game. Like, like, and I, I mean, I'm just gonna interject myself. Did people, why, why did people think that like he just didn't know what he was doing? Like, I understand that not everybody can go from, you know, great football playing career to coach. Nobody, not everybody can do that. Most people can really only do the coaching and not the playing and shit. I mean, like, true the other way around, right? <clears throat> but why did we think that he just didn't know ball, right? Like, why did it take for him to, like, light up TCU to get people's attention? It's just so weird. Anyways. I got to say, I've been working with the assumption that Dion, this isn't Dion's end game, right? Colorado is not Dion's end game. I watch enough Aflac commercials to know that Alabama is where he's going. Saban's leaving at some point. Dion's moving in. I've been working with that assumption because Dion is so outsized, right? And the game has changed so much to where we are now letting not just football guys do football things, right? But football guys doing football things. But there's also room in those kinds of head coaching chairs for the independently wealthy to come into this. Joe Moorhead's not exactly a super duper rich guy, but he did make enough of a penny between his previous stops to be able to go to Akron and say, I don't 100% need the money anyways. Jim McElwain at Central was still kind of living off that Florida pay. Okay, so those are football examples. Biff Pogey was independently wealthy before he got into high school coaching at Maryland, which is where he coached up uh, Blake Corum, etc., etc., now he's at Charlotte. Deion Sanders, I, mean, I don't have to tell you, but yeah, independently wealthy as shit. And is probably, is definitely the most qualified to talk about sports than any of the, uh, the, the more like independently wealthy people that we just kind of talked about. Guys that aren't like totally needing this paycheck. Like, go look it up. Biff, he really does need his paycheck from Charlotte. You know who does? The assistant coaches that he's giving it to. Like, there's the assistant salary pool, 
and then there's a head coaching check that he gets, but he gives that check to that pool. Insane. That is insane. You know, a lot of these other coaches don't really offer that, but if we're looking at some of the best jobs in America, I mean, there's only like a couple of the best seats in America when it comes to college football coaching, right? Kirby Smart is not leaving Georgia. Kirby Smart is undeniably a top two coach in America. So, no. You're not there's no way that we're gonna get you know, Georgia's gonna get rid of him. Though Dion at Georgia, that's amazing. That's an that's amazing sounding. Dion at Alabama, a lot more doable. A lot more doable uh giving, you know, given the you know the 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 track that Nick is on, right? Yeah, Alabama getting like the ultimate football guy with deep, deep pockets that really doesn't need the money. <sighs> oh yeah. I, I I anyways. I've also been because I've been working with the assumption that Dion's gonna go to Bama or a great job, right? But let's say Bama for sure. Because Dion absolutely will leave Colorado for Bama. I don't think the stay is going to be too long. I wouldn't be surprised if it were after this year. I wouldn't be surprised if so many things changed in February with these. And with that, I say Lewis does not go with him. Lewis stays in Colorado. Lewis gets the head coaching job that he's truly deserved. And this was, you know, the time for him to shine. This was the time for him to to really prove it. And so I thought, giving you my August brain, that Lewis was going to be the head coach of Colorado. And I still think that's a possibility. But I don't know, man. This 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 latest with him being just the, the signal caller and and not the offensive coordinator for uh for the buffs. I don't know, man. It's it's just weird. I didn't read the whole post because I'm not a subscriber, but the article from 247 Sports was teased with a anonymous coach saying that Sean Lewis going from Kent State head coach to Colorado OC was quote-unquote laughable. And my question in response to that is, what? What? Laughable? What? Dude, you go to Kent State. Whoever you are, you, you, you go head coach at Kent State. You tell me how good it is. Like, what is the upward mobility of a Mac head coach? And this is going to be, this should be like a longer topic for later. But here's a quick list. Here's a quick list of all of the Mac head coaches since 2010 that have gone from being a Mac head coach to Power 5 head coach. Went straight there. And since 2010, that list is only as long as Six guys. Jerry Kill, NIU to Minnesota in 2011. Dave Doran, who's still there at NIU to NC State in 2013. All these guys are actually still there, minus Jerry Kill. Uh, Dave Clawson, Bowling Green to Wake in 14. Matt Campbell, Toledo to Iowa State in 16. P.J. Fleck, Western to Minnesota. And then Lance Leipold, UB to Kansas in 2021. P.J. Fleck is the last... Mac championship winner to make this jump. Lance Leipold got to Detroit twice, lost both times. 
So yeah, uh, I don't know if year six at Kent State's was supposed to do anything for Sean Lewis. Like at best, we're looking at I don't know. Let's say let's say he leads Kent State to a seven and five season. We're just going to be really nice here. We're going to be they're going to be seven and five after an zero and four start because the non conference slate always sucks at Kent State. You know, like what are you supposed to do with that? What are you supposed to do with that? There's no title that comes with that, assumingly. Assuming that, you know, Toledo's as good as it is and beats Kent State. Because Toledo will always just have more athletes than Kent State. Doesn't matter how long or how good your development program is at Kent State. It's not going to be able to match what Toledo can do. Anyways, Sean Lewis was the youngest head coach in America when he took that Kent State job. And now we're like, why, why did he make why did he make that move? Because obviously he didn't get the head coaching jobs at literally anywhere else. You can look across the way at Toledo and see Jason Candle is a regular in, at Ford Field. He doesn't want to be a regular there. He doesn't want to be a regular there. He wants to be in Florida. He wants to be dialing up plays in Florida. There are so many other jobs that both those guys are qualified for, but they're not going to get the chance. Why? Because they wasted the time in the MAC. Like it's not a respected league in the job markets anywhere. And I don't know how much of this has to do with, you know, seeing so many few guys on that list, seeing so few guys on the list. I don't know how much of it has to do with those coaches not doing a good enough job to make that jump. And I don't know how much of that has to do with these schools are just hiring guys that don't want to make that jump in the first place. Lance Leopold is obviously one of those built different kind of guys I like to talk about because there's only so few people that would love to put up with what Kansas and Buffalo both have to offer. It's very different than what PJ Fleck had to deal with at Western and at Minnesota. It's not the same. Like Eastern, like Creighton's not that guy. Creighton's not the guy that's been like, Hey, you know, like, like he, he hasn't been like trying to get that Michigan state job. He didn't obviously shoot for anything higher than what he's at right now. But if Eastern was trying to find a guy that did 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 have those Michigan State aspirations, that did have those, you know, whatever big time football program aspirations after this, then maybe they land themselves on here, or maybe not. Ohio, of course, isn't on here because it went from Frank Solich to Tim Albin. Some other guys just have not have have not had the success that you want. But Kent State wanted to be on this list. That's why they made the hire. Kent State wanted to be on this list that I tweeted out. Like, if Sean Lewis was in his 50s, sure. Maybe you should probably stick around at Kent State longer because it doesn't really matter anymore. But he's in the prime of his life. And you have to say, like, God, why did he go from the worst moneyed program in the MAC, which is saying a lot, to... All the funds and resources and once-in-a-lifetime chance to work with Deion Sanders. Not that it's going to be like a guaranteed, you know, ace experience. But it's definitely going to be something. It's definitely going to be so much more experience and knowledge than you would have gained than if you were just trying to like, oh, I got to I gotta beat Akron. How, how am I going to game plan for this? Like, I'm jealous that 
I think I'm, I don't, I'm, I shouldn't say jealous. I'm very, very happy that Lewis was, ex, was able to like go out, have this experience come hell or high water. He is getting the most out of it. Good Lord, man. Like not, that's not like the best thing ever, but he's getting an experience that he would not have otherwise had at Kent state. I don't know if he hates his current position more than he would have hated it. If he stuck around for year six at Kent state, not sure, not talking to the guy, but he's getting experience and he's getting what he wants. He's getting his gamble. He wants more, more big time programs to take a gamble on him. And they did. And so whatever happened for Lewis to be forced out of the play calling duties and into the hand waving signal part of the job, whatever transpired to land that demotion, we'll probably hear about that. And he's going to have to wear that in stride for as long as he stands next to Dion. And this will probably result in the like professional breaking up of those two this offseason. Time will tell. But just because things are going bad for him right now, I cannot laugh at him and think, God, why on earth would you leave Kent State? Dude, have you ever been to Kent State? And thank you for listening to another episode of Y11 Audio. If you like what I do, hit subscribe. If you love what I do, all I ask for is $6 a month, and you can get it all at ipsy11.com. I'm Alex Alvarado, and thanks again.